Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. and welcome to Transporter Lock, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I am your host, Sabriel, and I am joined by Ken Gagney. Hello, Ken. Hello, Sabriel. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. It's uh, Monday afternoon after we watch Star Trek, and oh, I love Sundays. <laughs> I just love Sundays. Do you have sort of like a, a crash after watching Star Trek, like it was a high while you're watching the show, and then you realize, oh no, it's another week until the next episode? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> and now, in only like two weeks, we're going to have a very, very hard crash. Oh, my gosh. February 11th is the last episode of the season. I don't know what we're going to do for the next, what, seven months? How did we live like this before? In caves with stones and rocks and twigs. <laughs> yeah, today we are going to talk about episode 13, what's past is prologue, but before we get there... We have some a viewer email that you wanted to bring up. Yes, we got some nice listener feedback from Levi Costello. Thank you, Levi, for writing to us. Levi feels like a lot of D Discovery viewers have not seen any Star Trek since The Next Generation. And that may be true. I think a lot of people are coming back into the fold, and we should certainly welcome them. But I think some people might miss some of the additional layers of meaning and the way the plots weave in and out of all the different series by not seeing... DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. So it's great that we have listeners who are familiar with all that, and we're certainly happy to chat with other ardent Trekkies. Oh, for sure. His main question, though, was about the Mirror Universe. Emperor Georgiou had said that by going across universes the way the Defiant did, everybody goes mad. Levi is wondering if that is also what happened in the original series to Mirror Kirk. If his transporter accident caused him to go mad because we saw him on the prime enterprise as basically a raving lunatic and we're wondering if that is the effect of the transdimensional shift and i don't think it was because we didn't see that happen to prime kirk when he went there and back and we haven't seen it happen to anybody else on ds9 and so i think it's just the transphasic web that the tholians wove around the defiant that caused that what do you think brie i am in complete agreement. Something that the Tholians did must have uh, messed with people's head. Maybe it has to do with the uh, silicon life base form the Tholians are. Uh, maybe something they did uh, gets into the brains of humanoids or, or uh, carbon-based humanoids and just goes, ah! Right, because unlike Tholians, we are ugly bags of mostly water. Yes. <laughs> well, I can see what you're getting at. Yeah, I think they just told Kirk or um, uh, William Shatner, like, just act like you would if you were evil and crazy man. And... He was like, I can do this. <laughs> Not a stretch for Shat. <laughs> Somebody help him! <laughs> Levi also asks that the producers of this show had very clearly stated we are not going to see Kirk and Spock. And could that be a white lie in that we'll see Mirror Kirk, who is technically not the same character? While we're in the Mirror Universe, will we see other characters from TOS? And I do see how that is sort of splitting hairs and that if they want to deceive us about who's going to show up in this season, they could. But I don't think they're going there. I don't think we're going to have another actor playing Kirk. Yeah, I can totally see that. I think like sometimes Doctor Who 
does this like what or or i remember smallville did this uh they had a rule that said no flights no tights but all of a sudden in one episode he spider-man or excuse me spider-man a uh, superman flew and they're like oh no no it's okay because he just wasn't in his right mind so it wasn't technically superman and so <laughs> i could see the writers going there but I, I don't think they would but i could i could totally understand and totally get your get you get you, get along your uh i can get into your hypothesis like, <laughs> yeah they could have done it they could have done it but i don't think they're going to and of course, now having seen the latest episode, which Levi had not seen when this email came in, I think we have a better idea of where the show is going with the Mirror Universe. Shall we talk about what's past this prologue? Yeah, let's do it. Last week ended with the revelation that Lorca is from the Mirror Universe, and this week he went on an all-out assault trying to overthrow the Emperor. Now, you and I had chatted, and I had also discussed with Susan, that it was still possible that Mirror Lorca was a good guy, because anybody wanting to overthrow the ruler of the Terran Empire, a racist, xenophobic culture, can't be all that bad. We found out this week that <laughs> actually, yes, you can be all that bad. When you uh, want to kill a person in power in the Mirror Universe, that means you want their job. I forgot that this was an ascension through assassination type of deal. <laughs> and so, yeah, no surprise there, it turned out to be. <laughs> really? Did you see it coming that Lorca was a bad guy? Well, I, I wanted to believe that it's possible, you know, but I think deep down inside, <laughs> I knew. Especially when, you know, he's uh, he's just kind of been a bad bad guy the whole season, the whole series so far. And so, yeah, I think there was that hope, but I think we all knew <laughs> deep down inside. I don't know. I think it would have been more interesting if he was a good guy, because then Burnham would have been torn between trusting this person who's been lying to her all along or trusting this evil empress who looks just like her dead mother figure whom she betrayed on the other hand then that would just be stealing spock's story in mirror spock's story excuse me because he was the one who rose above and tried to make the terran empire more like the federation and uh it ended up being wound up being his undoing and the, the the terran empire's undoing so by having Lorca become that guy the good guy here i don't know if that i think that would have taken away from spock mirror spock well it depends on whether or not Lorca succeeds or not yeah also true also true but anyway, that wasn't his goal, was to replace the Terran Empire with something more logical. Uh, he just wanted all that power for himself. Yeah, he, he turned out to be worse than Empress... Uh, I almost said Empress Sato, but uh, <laughs> Empress Zhao. He wrote. He said something along the lines of, I watched for years as you allowed uh, the lesser races spill over into the Terran Empire borders, and... I'm not basically. I'm not gonna let that happen. Like you, you've gotten weak. So he's basically playing the same role that Peter Weller did in the penultimate episode of Enterprise, uh, that of John Frederick Paxton. Yes, yes, uh, RoboCop. Right. <laughs> Who was also the villain in Star Trek Into Darkness, which I just found out this past week. Like, how did I miss that? Oh connection? my gosh! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So he's been in Star Trek twice. Not many people <laughs> would have caught that. And after he played both of those roles, he went and got a PhD in Italian. Yeah. Who was? <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what you do. How do you top being a villain in two different Star Treks? Get a PhD in Italian. <laughs> Not Klingon, but Italian. Lorca also said this very much, very line that told us he was a very, very evil man. He said he wants to make the Empire glorious again. <laughs> and what does that mean? I'm thinking red caps and American elections. Oh, oh, I, I totally missed that. Oh my gosh. We will make the Empire glorious again. Yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> Make Empire great, uh, glorious again, Mega, M-E-G-A? Yeah, yeah, Mega. But he had, <laughs> I was surprised by how much help he had. He had the entire crew of the Baran, apparently, helping him out. Oh, 
going to go that far because the brown blew up. We were led to believe that the Brown blew up, but it looked like everybody was waiting in those agonizer booths for months and months. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they did some kind of mass teleportation. But you know what? These people could also have been just supporters that the Empire has captured for years. And also, speaking of months and months of agonizer booths, the opening of the the show today, or this week, was him doing a monologue, basically his own captain's log kind of thing, where he's talking to his people he's letting out of agonizer booths, and he says... For one year, or basically one year and 222 days of torture, my friends. That means he's been in the Prime Universe for a very long time. Wait a minute, do we know the mirror Baron blew up? Yes. Well, at least, yeah, because he, he described, he actually gave us the story about how we got to the Prime Universe. And it was the exact same way that happened in Mirror Universe, uh, or excuse me, in Mirror Mirror. Which is the original series episode? Yep. Uh, he was... Being chased by the Emperor in the cool uh, ISS Sharon, that big Emperor ship, uh, the, the palace. Uh, they were trying to get him. The same time the Brown was under attack, and at the same time that the Emperor was trying to beam him over to the palace ship, they were also flying into an ion storm. Ion Storm is exactly what happened in Mirror Mirror. I missed the part where the Sharon was the one trying to beam him over. I knew he was caught in a transporter accident, but I was trying to figure out where he was transporting to. Uh, yep, yep. And so he wasn't, it was against his will, but the tr- uh, ship was beaming him. And at the same time, he and apparently uh, Prime Lurka were beaming at the same time and switched places. We don't know what happened to Prime Lurka, but it's a good assumption he's dead. Wait, we don't know that he switched places with Prime Lorca, do we? Like I said. Well, uh, basically, that's how the transporter thing works, though. They switch places. That's with not the how person. it works in DS9. That's not the same technique, though. I don't. I, th- <laughs> I think Prime Lorca blew up with the rest of the Baron, or that if they did switch places, I think that means that Mirror Lorca blew up the Baron not to save his crew from being captured by the Klingons, but because he wanted to kill anybody who could identify him as not Prime Lorca. Oh, it's very possible, and technically we don't know, but uh, this is my hypothesis by using the Ion Storm Transporter switch but but it is totally open to Lorca coming back if i have no idea if isaacs has been signed on for season two or not <laughs> but this means that Lorca's appearance in the prime universe was not intentional like i suspected i thought he had gone over there specifically to either capture burnham or to capture the spore drive because he knew from mirror stamets that this mycelial network spread across the multiverse and it turns out he just landed there by accident yeah yeah He's been there for almost two years. That's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, the, maybe uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe we'll learn more, but um, maybe we won't at the way that episode ended this week. <laughs> Wait, I don't think it's been two years because the Klingon War started at the beginning of the series, and then we fast forward six months, and that was like six months ago. So that's all been within a year. But, but what I was talking about is the beginning, he said for one year and 222 days... Uh, his his friends have been undergoing torture. But that's so, not how long he's been in the Prime Universe. We don't know that 100% sure, but I just, all I'm going is based on what he said in that, basically, Captain's Log. So yeah, it, there's a few unknowns still. Were you expecting to see Landry come back? You know what? I kind of was. Uh, I, I, or maybe it was another case of, I'm not surprised that she's here. Because, like, you know what, she's kind of a popular, and, and you know, that'd pay good money to get that actress in there, or decent money. 
because she's known from other things. It's like, yeah, I might as well use her while we got her. And I got the sense that Prime Landry hated Burnham anyway, so it makes sense that she would get a second chance. Yeah, and so basically she got to play the same character. In both right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you think of Mirror Stamets? You know, he seemed very similar to Prime Stamets, except, you know, he did the whole engineering things, for, you know, for, for nefarious reasons, but he still seemed kind of decent-ish. I mean, we really didn't get much time with him, of him not being in peril, to see his real side, but I thought he seemed decent. He's smarmy, just like the Prime one. And <laughs> whatever, I wish we could have had more time with him. I was surprised at how quickly he joined Lorca's movement, because he was hiding from Lorca. And, oh, by the way, he has his own personal cloaking device. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't technically cloaking. It was more like a projecting an image of the wall, and it was kind of cloaking. Oh, kind of like in Who Watches the Watchers. Refresh my memory. The TNG episode, where it's the it's the Picard. <laughs> It's the duck blind. Right, basically. Yeah, also from Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah, oh, that, that term was used in both. I didn't realize that until I went back and looked. <laughs> hey, how about that? Anyway, yeah, uh, I think he... It sounds like Lorca was using him in the past in some way, and maybe he was kind of, like, helping Lorca because he needed to or die, and it seemed like that was kind of the situation here, too, you know? Yeah, I mean, he was hiding from Lorca, and... Lorca seemed ready to kill him, but then he said, could you please release your biological weapon into the ventilation? And Stamets is like, sure, why not? I'd love to. Yeah. He's like the reluctant assistant. That is kind of, I don't know if it's a trope. I wish I could think of some examples. But, you know, the assistant of the bad guy who, once the bad guy's gone, he just starts doing his own thing again. But all of a sudden, the bad guy surprisingly comes back. It's like, oh, no, you're back. Okay, grovel, grovel again. (laughs) I was hoping to see more of Mirror Stamets. I thought that he would play a role in the mycelial network or in getting the Discovery back or some sort of a mirror version of Hugh Colbert, but he's dead now. We don't ever get to see him ever again. (laughs) Yeah, um, that was a quick death. (laughs) Although his death did serve the purpose of opening up that trap door because... You know that they're... I mean, if they're going to show that trap door in the first act, we know they're going to use it in the third act. Yeah, the whole time I was sitting there while they are doing that really cool fight scene, I'm thinking like, all right, we had Chekhov's trap door. We had Chekhov's trap door. Where is it going to be? Where is it going to be? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And speaking of fight scenes, there was some fantastic choreography in this episode. Oh my god. I I even wrote that in my notes. Like Later later on in the episode, Burnham and the Emperor are fighting Lorca and his people in the throne room. And that was... really good fight scene for Star Trek or even just TV in general. It was a really good fight scene. And multiple times there was multiple fights going on on camera at the same time and not the cutaways. At one point there was three different fights going on on screen at once. Like, wow. Kind of reminded me of Rey and Kylo Ren against the Emperor's Guard or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spoilers for anyone. Oh, Come on, the movie's been out for, what, a month and a half? If you haven't seen it by Everyone who's going to see it is going to have had seen it by now. And it's been all over Twitter. They've been putting it to different soundtracks. True, true. However, Star Trek, right. amazing choreography on these fights. It was so cool. I loved it. And I feel like Michelle Yeoh got to show off her moves more here than she did in the Prime Universe. Oh, absolutely. I was so happy to be able to see her in her fight actions. You know, She's known as a actress who can do this kind of stuff. She was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon doing the same moves. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> have you seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I have. I saw it a few months ago. And what did you think? I liked it. 
I liked it. I know it was very popular that year and people were like, going, oh my God. Uh, it wasn't my, my favorite movie of all time, but I enjoyed the experience. I think I tried watching it like a decade or two ago, and I actually don't remember finishing it. I think I was kind of bored by it. Maybe I didn't get to the fight sequences for which it's known. I mean, it, it, well, yeah, I mean, it's known for the fantastical uh, flying in the trees and bouncing off high walls, basically. Um, fantastical parkour. <laughs> but uh, Right. It is a, kind of a slower slower film, but um, it's very it's a very good example of Akshia-themed stuff where you have the betrayal and love and whatnot and i was looking at it for those themes and i think maybe that's why i was more interested in it i was looking for the themes of those kind of movies for something i was working on at the time but back to this yeah let's talk about michelle yo what did you think of mirror emperor she got a lot more screen time this episode i'm happy we got to finally see more screen time with her i think her time was cut too short we didn't really get to see enough of her in the uh prologue or you know the beginning Aha, uh-huh, what's past this prologue? We got the prologue again. Aha. <laughs> but, uh, well, actually, anyway, um, of course, what's past this prologue? You don't put the prologue after. <laughs> what's future is prologue. No. <laughs> what? <But> anyway. No. <laughs> um, no, I really like her. I like her acting. Uh, she dominates the screen whenever she's actually like in charge and doing things. And I'm so happy we got to see that. We got to see her showing off to Lorca. Like, psh, whatever, I got force fields. I expected this, dummy. <laughs> got to see her being reserved and reflecting when Burnham had or met up with her in her bedroom or conference room or dining room, whatever that was. And then we got to see her kick ass. And so we got to see, like, a r- wide range. Oh, and we also get to see her pissed off at Michael for rescuing her. She said near the beginning of the episode that she would not succumb to sentimentality for Burnham again. And yet it seems like that's what she did throughout <laughs> the rest of the episode. At the end, she even said it was almost like having my daughter back. Yeah. Oh, no. She totally, she was trying to tell herself that. So this was not a warning to Burnham. This was her trying to convince herself. I think so. I think so. Which I'm also happy to see. We got to see more emotion out of a Mirror Universe character. In the past, Mirror Universe characters have always typically been, aha, I'm evil for evil's sake. Aha. And here we get to see kind of development. Like, okay, okay. It's kind of a front. You are, you do have that glint or that edge of being a jerk. I'm cleaning my language up. But uh, you do have some humanity in you and you do have feelings as well. That's not just kill, maim, destroy. Well, about that, Burnham says at one point that she's teaming up with the Emperor because she wants to make Lorca pay for all the pain he's caused and all the lives he will cost. But she's saying this to the leader of a racist, xenophobic (laughs) empire that she watched bomb the rebels from outer space. Yep, yep, which is that interesting trope of let's make us feel for the person who is obviously ridiculously evil. It's hard because we know she's a terrible person, but she's also got some... uh, I appreciate that they're trying to make the Mirror Universe humans have emotions when that's not really been a thing in the past. They made me enjoy her version of the Emperor, even though I know she's evil and I should absolutely hate her. I thought she was going to betray Burnham at the end. I was I was kind of wondering that too. I kept waiting for it, waiting for it. And she's like, oh, good job. It was a good plan. What? <laughs> the Emperor even let Burnham drop the shields on the reactor, which I never uh-huh. thought the Emperor would allow to happen. I think she she was going to because she didn't want anybody else to have the ship. She knew she was never going to be Emperor again. And she's like, yeah, get rid of it. Never be the Emperor again, but she never stopped being the Emperor. Well, in, in her mind, she even said, um, it's like, I'm 
basically her time is done. Uh, her neck has been what's what was uh, what was the exact phrasing? Basically, because an attempt was made and it was this successful, now there's nothing stopping anyone else, and she's basically done. And so she was expecting to die when she was trying to save Burnham. So when she was disappointed that she didn't die, do you think that's because she wanted to die with honor, or do you think it's important that? they actually see her dead body in order for her reign to end, as opposed to wondering where has she gone and will she come back? Oh, it could be both. It could be very much both. I mean, of course you want to go down with fighting as an emperor. You don't want to be captured or whatnot, because then you can be used as a, I don't know, a trophy? Rallying point? Yeah, something something basically where they can say, ha ha, we got this emperor, and we can just toy with her even though she's alive. Someone will figure out the word for me and I can <laughs> Where is this hard? Were you surprised that Burnham saved her? I, yes and no. I kept thinking, oh, she's going to do it. She's going to do it. She's going to do it. And as the scene went longer and longer, I'm like, oh, she's not going to do it. And all of a sudden she did it, does it. (laughs) And so, yes and no. You know, it's not often you get a second chance because in the very second episode, Battle of the Binary Stars, Burnham is running for Georgiou's body when she's beamed out. She doesn't get to the body in time. She doesn't get to bring Georgiou home. And this Mm -hmm. time... It was exactly the same thing, except this time she made it, and also Georgiou was still alive. So she did get to beam back with Georgiou, just like she tried to at Battle of the Binary Stars. Yes, yeah, so and now she got to make it right, even though it's not the same person. But where can they possibly go with this? We now have the leader of an evil, racist, xenophobic, mirror universe empire on a Prime Universe Federation starship captained by dinner. Yep. <laughs> and I was thinking about this. Some people, okay, so some people were speculating, oh, I guess we should, um, well, we don't know. Discovery got back, but they came back too late. It's nine months later, and the Klingons have won the war. Right, right. But but, but what's going to happen with the Emperor? Where yep. is this going? Yep, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That's why I needed to make sure I had that backstory. All right. What they're going to do with her is somehow she's going to have to be some kind of sacrifice again for Burnham so Discovery can go back in time to the point they were trying to get to. I don't know how, I don't know what, but she will be to some kind of sacrifice and Burnham has to go, okay, I can accept this, finally. So you mean just like how Georgie was willing to buy Michael some time at the end of this latest episode so that she could have time to transfer back, she's going to do the same thing again where there's going to be some scenario where, oh, somebody has to go into the reactor and they won't come out, but this is our only way back to nine months ago. And the Emperor's going to be like, I'll do it? Yep. Hmm. Uh, Somehow, yeah. Why? Her reasoning? We'll see. Maybe it's her connection to Michael. I don't know. But, I mean, they got to get rid of her somehow. (laughs) That's my viewpoint. But she's obviously not happy to have been saved. She even said, what have you done to me? And I have to wonder how the rest... Well, first of all, the rest of the crew doesn't necessarily know this person, because she was captain of the Shenzhou, not the Discovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly Detmer on the bridge is going to recognize her, and Saru. Oh my god, and Saru is going to have a hard day. (laughs) Yeah. But in the meantime, I have to imagine that they're probably going to put Emperor Georgiou in the brig, along with Voke and Laurel. It's like a rogues gallery down there. I, I was thinking that too. It'd be kind of interesting. And Oslo was kind of appreciative we did not see Voke or Laurel the entire episode. Again, you and I were talking about how this storyline with Voke and Ash isn't really paying off. And this week, they seem to have just written it off. Although I assume it's going to play a much bigger role in the next two episodes. I'm sure it will. And I hope so. Honestly, right now, I just, their storyline, I could care less about. 
Like, after all that buildup, I'm just like, ugh. That was the horrible presentation of it last week. Or the, I mean, just less than optimal presentation of it last week. Maybe just like, yeah, I don't care. Maybe next week we'll change that. I hope it does. I really hope it does. But right now, I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> we do want to talk about the cliffhanger it ended on. But before, I also want to talk about how they got there. We haven't really talked much about the whole mycelial network aspect of their time in the mirror universe and how they got back. Yeah, you wanted to cover that one since I've been taking over? <laughs> well, first of all, it turns out this mycelial network, had it been continued to be corrupted, it would have disrupted and eliminated all life in the entire multiverse. And I like that they use that word multiverse. It means that even the Discovery acknowledges that there are yet more universes out there. But also, I liked the little dig that they made against what I felt was our own current place in space and time on Earth, which is where they said, oh, they thought that they could replenish this resource before it ran out. Yeah, Yeah. they're so naive. (laughs) But it makes me wonder, Sabriel, what if we are in the mirror universe right now? Oh, this is, we've known that ever since this last election. Oh, sad. (laughs) But it's true, like, we've always thought that Star Trek and Starfleet are our future. What if the Terran Empire is our future? Um, well, we can try to fight that. But but we, we okay, we know it's well Ken, you have a not quite a goatee, but <laughs> <laughs> But this is all more all the more reason why we need to invent transporters so that we can get caught in accidents and go over to the prime universe where everything is great. <laughs> Again. Or, you know, you and I, we're fairly young and healthy. We'll just wait until April fifth, twenty sixty three. When the Diplana Hoth lands in Bozeman, Montana, and we'll just wait and see, does Zephram Cochran shake the Vulcan's hand, or does he pull out a shotgun and shoots him in the face? Ken, two things. One, I've already got plans to be there, and you're welcome to join. And two, when that happens, uh, we can just, like, if the shotgun comes out, we can just stop that. Because we'll know it. (laughs) (laughs) But if we know it's going to happen, that's because it's destined to happen. You can't change time, Sabriel. We can. We know what's happening. It's paradoxes. Right, but if it if we change it, then it doesn't happen. Then how do we know it happened because it didn't? <laughs> what about I, my own grandparent? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lovely song, but uh, so no, they had. They- Janeway said, uh, something like when I became captain, I said I would never get involved with one of these time travel paradoxes. The past is the future. The future is the past. Oh, it gives me such a headache. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And I remember (laughs) there was one time when two different Miles O'Briens at the same time said, oh, temporal mechanics gives me a headache (laughs) or something to that effect. But yes. But before we get to the time travel, there was also mycelial travel. And they thought at first that they were not going to survive the blast. There were a lot of people in engineering at that briefing. Yeah, a lot of the bridge members. Yeah, first of all, who's running the bridge? (laughs) (laughs) And second of all, nobody seemed to mind the possibility of not surviving. Or if they did mind, they did not object to it. Basically, with Starfleet officers, we understand what happens, or we we understood what could happen when we sign up for the job, and basically we're making this sacrifice to save the universe. Kind of reminds me of the pilot episode of Voyager, where they chose to destroy the caretaker. Yeah, yeah. And oh my god, it's sorry to make some epic speeches here. I think he was playing fast and loose with how his threat ganglia work. <laughs> oh, maybe. But I was happy that he was like, you know what? My race can see death coming. Well, no, he was just being the fearless leader, even if he was scared out of his gourd. <laughs> my, death, my race can see death coming. I do not see death this day. And this is our ship. 
But he also saw a death at Battle of the Binary Stars, and almost everybody except George Yu lived that day. He saw a death, maybe. And also, the entire Admiral's ship got destroyed, but we're uh-huh. not talking about that. So, yeah. But, you know, he gave an epic speech. The crew, crew was like, heck yeah, I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> crew was like, yeah, and then we're going to go kill ourselves, but doing it saving the universe. So let's do this. And Tilly's like, hold on, wait a minute. I got some ideas. I mean, I don't think they were enthusiastic about it, but I think they did seem I'm more I'm being accepting. facetious a little bit, but Just a little they were bit. getting behind their captain. Yeah. Did, you, did you notice that there was a mix in the audience of people wearing Starfleet uniforms versus Terran badges? Yeah, I did. And they, they were still holding on to that. Like, and, and then when a few scenes later, they'd all taken them off. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. We won't play dress up anymore. I really thought that they were going to destroy the network because that would explain why we never hear about it again. But it turns out destroying the network means destroying all life everywhere and so it has to live and so i'm really curious how they're going to explain away the discrepancy of yes there's a spore warp drive but no we never use it yeah it'll be interesting to see you know what maybe that's what the iconian gateway uses i mean something like that so it's an iconian mushroom door maybe i'm just throwing (laughs) some hypotheses out there but um it'll be interesting to see or maybe discovery will get blown up lose all their research and then we have discovery discovery a or something like that (laughs) And also, no matter how many warp points or coordinates Stamets had about his various jumps through the spore drive, what finally led them home was the power of love. Yeah. They even changed the lighting in the warp room that he is in from blue to red so that he could see the network and listen to the opera. (laughs) That was very nice of them, wasn't it? (laughs) It was. Of course, as soon as they get out, it's blue again. Yeah. But, um, you know, it could actually be the warp drive, you know, right behind him lighting things up, and then they stopped all of a sudden. But no, it was a sweet scene, and I'm happy we kind of got to have him kind of say goodbye again, too. But in a conscious state, say goodbye to to Culber. Yeah, because throughout the rest of the episode, he seemed pretty chill about the fact that his partner had been brutally murdered. Yeah, you know what? Maybe he's not. He's just hiding it because he has a job to do, and then he can mourn later. I mean, he'd have to. He, I, I can imagine that he's saying to himself, there'll be time to mourn later. Right now, we need to get home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I loved the flyby of the Sharon where they did get home, where like Landry is saying, what are they doing? And they zip <laughs> right in and launch their torpedoes right at the reactor. And Landry is saying, like, this is the first time I've seen either Landry or Miri Landry express any sort of doubt or lack of confidence or fear where she said... Are the enforcement shields up? Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought that. Yeah, it was the first time she's actually looked concerned before, other than when the tardigrade ate her face. Right. But she's <laughs> like, oh, crap. I mean, why would they be going in for this photon torpedo spread unless the shields were down? She's like, tell me they're up. <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> Sorry. Goodbye. So now she really is dead again. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of Landry and the uh, throne room, we completely screwed around one issue and that was Lorca's death oh yeah do you think he's dead so so, okay so two things one I thought so and then I saw someone make a comment like well maybe he's just in the mycelial network (laughs) but uh the way he when I watched it the second time I was like yeah I'm pretty sure he's dead but in Star Trek there's always a possibility (laughs) like even like Kirk came back well, you know, so. the way he died, the way Lorca died in this episode is exactly the same way the villain died at the end of season three of the TV show Reboot. 
You know, I didn't see the uh, that part. I only saw season two where the end of it turned out to be like it wasn't season three where they jumped ahead in time. Yes. Yeah, I, I they stopped airing that here where I live, and so I never got to see that season. I also did not get to see it when it first aired. I had to wait more than a decade for it to for the rights to finally be released from some German vault, and a DVD edition came out. Ah. And there is also a fourth season that picks up after that, and that villain comes back. Spoiler. Of course. <laughs> so I would not be at all surprised if Lorca, just one episode after being revealed as Mirror Lorca, is now all of a sudden dead. We have lost Mirror Lorca and Mirror Stamets. I would not be surprised if we saw one of them again. Yeah, I know. I would. I would not be. But it also, like, okay, if they're dead, they're dead. But I would not be surprised either. So hey, at Star Trek, that's why. I might go. <gasps> now that I think about it, not only did he fall into the mycelial network, he also had a sword run through him. Yeah, he did. That's true. He did have a sword through him. And speaking of the sword, watching the fight the first time, I'm like, uh, he had Georgia's sword, and he stabbed someone in the back with it. Like he slashed through the back, and I was like, what? But no one is like has this reaction like like who did he slice in the back, and then I watched it again, and it almost looked like he slashed uh, Mirror Landry in the back when Landry was fighting Michael. Almost seems like he was saving Michael. You know, I only watched the fight scene once, but it looked to me like that too. It almost looked like he was trying to get Landry out of the way so that he could fight Burnham. Yeah, and I was like, that was interesting. But then Landry's alive again, so she, the wasn't a mortal wound. Yeah, apparently not. But but I thought it was interesting that he attacked his own basically commander. Well, I'm I'm not surprised that you know betrayal is the way of the mirror universe. Well, that too. Yeah. Plus, you know, he he still is mad, manly in love with Michael Burnham, Mirror Michael. It was weird that he said that nobody touches Burnham. She is key to our success, and I think she had already played her role in getting him to lead this revolt. I think from there on, his only need for her was personal. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was madly in love with her. I like how she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much I want to talk about here. Uh, Michael, to get to him, she did the same thing. She pulled on mud by giving him exactly what he wanted. And they turned the emperor and herself in. Right. And then in this scene, she's like, I'll give you my, I'll give you me, but only my brain. <laughs> so I don't get any ideas. Right. All you're getting is my mind. Nothing else. Yeah. And and in that scene, Saru said, I would like to hear from Burnham herself that she's fine. And she said, "Uh, this is where I need to be. And Saru said, that's all I needed to hear. Do you think he was seeking confirmation of exactly where she was, that he would know where to fire? Earlier in the episode, she said she would uh, get to him, tell him when to attack. And she then learned she she was going to figure out where she was going to be. Those are the... She told Saru that she was going to figure out where she needed to be, and then she's going to turn off the shield over the mycelial thing. And so this was her secret message, kind of like um, Kirk did in Star Trek Two to Spock, uh, having their own little secret messages, knowing the implied meaning. And so, like, yep, he was just waiting for her to give the hint about is she where she needed to be, and like, yep, she said it. Oh, I missed that. I assumed for some reason that there had been some hidden communication between Burnham and the Discovery that we just weren't privy to where they coordinated this attack plan. Nope, nope. She was just telling him exactly what he needed to know. Like, I guess technically, literally. But yeah, earlier in this episode, she said, like, I'll let you know when you can do your thing. It seems like when Discovery fired on the bridge of the Sharon, though, that the Sharon had little to no shields for it to have had the effect that it did. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a little weird, didn't it? Yeah, that was a very powerful strike. Like, if that had been any other ship, everybody would have lurched to the left, lurched to the right, and say, shields are down <laughs> to 80%, and that would have been it. Yeah, all well, it's in a strike, like, blows a hole in the bridge, but you know what? That was the problem with the design of Starfleet ships as well. <laughs> Apparently, it's cross-universes. We put our bridge wide out in the open. Yeah, the bridge is like their weak spot. Yep. <laughs> I could hear Burnham's heart breaking when she said to Lorca, we would have helped you home. All you had to do is ask. That's who Starfleet is. That's who I am. And that's why I'm not going to kill you now. Just to think. I even feel like Lorca broke a little bit when he heard that. He's like, ah, crap. This could have been so much easier. <laughs> but that just never occurs to him because that's not how his universe works. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. You have to scheme your way up to the top. And <laughs> I mean, it was the same thing with the Binars in the season one of TNG. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they never asked because it could have been either yes or no, and they didn't want to take the chance of it being no. So we'll just take what we want. And, get... <laughs> and I love that bit where Michael's like, I won't kill you, and Emperor's like, but I will stab. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if that was coordinated, like, like the Emperor said... Nobody kills Lorca, but I do. Because what else could have happened from there except Burnham or Emperor kills Lorca? Like, they could not let Lorca live after all that. Nope. So I just shoved him down into the trapdoor, into the energy thinger. Apparently. Chekhov's trapdoor. Right. So anything else we want to talk about that happened in this episode? We're probably missing something. Do you feel like there was too much exposition in this episode? Uh, How do you mean? Well, I mean, there was a scene in engineering where Stamos was hand-wavy and said, oh, you know, if we do this, this, and this, then not only will we survive, but we'll get home. And Lorca was like, oh, this, this, and this happened, and I end up in the Prime Universe. And I don't know. Well, do you think that there was... I mean, at the same time, there was also a lot of action in this episode. So if there was too much exposition, then I feel like it was balanced by the action. What, what do you think about the overall balance of this episode and the content of the exposition? Nothing stood out to me as glaringly weird. I mean, having some Trekno-babble conversations in engineering is very Star Trek. And you know what? They still been doing, they have been pretty good about doing Trekno-babble and Trekno-babble. But, you know, they're having this moment where, like, what if we do this thing? We can do this thing. And then the guy's like, yeah, we can do that thing. Yeah. What's science the heck out of this? <laughs> and so they got their moment, and I thought that was fine. It seemed fit. It didn't take too long. And then... I'm glad uh, we got some information. It was basically their way of saying, hey, this is how this happens, so you guys can quit talking about it. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, and I felt the explanations were fairly feasible. I felt like I followed along, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. That's all we needed, just a little blurb. That's good. <laughs> you said there was something else in this episode you wanted to chat about? Yeah, well, besides the ending. Um, so, so I mentioned before, we got... we. Uh, jumped ahead nine months ahead. Well, in that process of using the mycelial network to cut ahead, there was definitely some hints of time travel here. Uh, during this like three-minute scene or two-minute scene or whatever of Stamets navigating the network, we see uh, the ship rocking back and forth. We see uh, sparks flying everywhere in engineering. We have uh, the scene in, in transporter room where Michael and the Emperor bouncing around because the ship was bouncing around. This whole scene, this whole moment here has hints about time travel because if you watch the sparks in engineering, they will, in some scenes, they fall to the ground and in some scenes, they rise back up into the ceiling, which is really neat. Uh, like they're reversing, like, not in a falling up, but in like reversing, not falling up. And one of them landed 
in Tilly. That was that's uh, something else, actually. What do you think that is? That is a spore. That because at the end of the scene, jumping ahead again here, uh, all the the spores are all over engineering for some reason, and they're fading into their own existence. One of them, a green one, falls in and gets absorbed by Tilly, and she doesn't notice. But we've seen people walk through the mycelial forest that they keep on the ship without being infected before. What makes this one individual spore, besides being green, unique? That's what we're supposed to figure out. <laughs> Wait to see. And I'm asking <laughs> you to figure it out, Sabriel. I want answers. Green. It is, <laughs> it is green. <laughs> it's just like the drink, yes. But um, we don't know. That's going to be the plot hook for the next episode or two, or next season. Tilly's like, all of a sudden, I have a cool, refreshing minty flavor. <laughs> These sparks are flying. Some are falling. Some are rising up into the scene going backwards. But then in the, if you watch in the transporter room, when Michael and the Emperor are bouncing around, they will cut to, they'll have a scene where Michael, the ship rocking, knocks her into Zhao, And then the next cut immediately, like a half second later, they're standing where they just were a moment ago. And so they kept bouncing around in time as well in the transporter room. And all of a sudden, boom, we pop up and we discover we're nine months in the future. So like, there was some total hints that things were not going right, even though they were kind of subtle. Uh, that's very perceptive. I did not pick up on those details. Uh, gotta watch. That's my thing. <laughs> Shall we discuss the implications of when and where they arrived at home? Yeah. Now, first of all, we never knew before that the Discovery could travel through time. Like That never came up. It's suddenly very convenient that they can do that. I don't think that was ever an expected outcome. No, it was not. But nonetheless, it is within the ship's capabilities to do so. Apparently with the, yeah. So now all of a sudden, are we watching Doctor Who now? <laughs> I did make that reference on Twitter, if anyone saw. At the end of the episode, I tweeted a, a gif of the Doctor. <laughs> yes, yep. You know, Stamets, I guess when they were planning to go back into Prime Universe, he did mention something about... We can get back pretty close to when we left, basically knowing that some time travel was possible. He apparently knew this, and we weren't privy to it before. But they didn't land close. They landed nine months later, yeah. and the Klingons have won the war. Yeah, oops. Now, we know that this cannot stand because the Federation exists ten years later in the original series. So, uh -huh. where, I mean, this is, this would have been a great season cliffhanger, but it's not. They have two more episodes to go. So where do you think they're going from here? That's so difficult to know because, you know what? Like, like we, it's more of the game. They, they tease it in the last few seconds where there's no information for us to glean, at least that we think. And like I mentioned before, I think the Emperor is going to have some part of something and sacrificing herself to help the Discovery jump back to the time zone or the time period they're supposed to. But... But if that means if they're going to use Discovery, they have to use more spores. And if they do that, where are they going to get that? They just use it all to get back. And But Tilly has the green thing. Maybe that'll have the green spore. Maybe that'll have something to do with it. And, oh. <laughs> or maybe something will happen to Stamets that he can no longer pilot the warp drive and Tilly becomes the navigator. Yeah, Tilly will have to do it. And she'll be like, no, no, I don't know. I don't know. Please, I don't know. Why? Why? <laughs> you know, during all this time, we still do not know what happened to the original ISS Discovery. We don't. We don't. It was alluded. We all kind of assumed it. Or not assumed, but it was all kind of alluded that they switched places with the Discovery, a USS Discovery. But if that's true, 
And maybe it is. Maybe that's why the Klingons won. <laughs> like, well, I was wondering with whom the ISS Discovery would side in a war like that, because A, they're xenophobic and racist, so they probably wouldn't side with an alien race like the Klingons. At the same time, they sided, they wouldn't side with the Federation, who is all about inclusion of alien races. Yeah. And so maybe they just popped up and got destroyed, too. We, we just don't know. And and we, I wish we did know. Maybe we will in the last two episodes. Well, I was disappointed that Lorca, when he revealed himself to Burnham, said, you know, your federation will never work. It's a it's a dream of all these stupid ideals that are weaknesses. And I was hearing that from somebody who had just been a Starfleet captain for 12 months, roughly. And none of that sunk in. He didn't see it working, even after all that time. Yeah, yeah. So now we see the Klingons have won, and the Discovery has to fix this somehow. I don't know where they're going to go from here, but it's so similar to how the first half of the season ended, where they warp somewhere with their drive, and they're like, Captain, we have no idea where we are. <laughs> it's the same thing again. And who is going to be the captain now? Is, is it Saru? Oh, it's Saru. Saru, yeah. Because we were talking about, will Lorca be a good guy and stay the captain, or will Burnham somehow become captain and now that Lorca is dead and Georgiou is back, I don't know where they're going to go with the hierarchy on this ship. The first officer becomes captain normally. Right. But, you know, we have someone who thinks they're leader uh, of the Terran Empire. So maybe she'll be like, no, we need to do this. And Michael will be like, no. And also, since Mirror Lorca was able to be captain for a year, why can't Mirror Georgiou be captain? You know, some people have been speculating that maybe she'll take some kind of leadership role or advisor or consultant or just try to take the ship herself. Who knows? Who, who would support her? I don't know. <laughs> I think she's too xenophobic to fall in with the Federation at all. Oh, she's pro- oh, she's going she's gonna to see a Kelpian in charge and go, what the? Right. <laughs> why is dinner leading the ship? What is this drumstick doing in my chair? <laughs> Eventually, they'll come back to Voke and Laurel, which makes me wonder also, Lorca had a Tribble on his desk. Did Ash Tyler ever go into Lorca's ready room? No. I was waiting for it and waiting for it. I've been watching for it all series. He never did. So, okay. Because that's interesting. Uh-huh. I've been waiting for it a whole season. Never happened. Also, Saru's threat ganglia would sometimes pop out when Tyler walked in the room. It never popped out when Lorca walked in the room. I can't confirm that or not. I don't think it did. I think every time we saw it pop out... I think we would have I think we would have noticed. Yeah, I think we would have brought it up before. Alright, well, anything else we missed about this episode? Uh, I did write a few notes, but they weren't anything like, specific to the action. Just things I thought were interesting. The first one is even in last episode, I noticed how much the Emperor's Throne reminded me of the talking piece that the Sheliak spoke to Picard in with these uh, yes. cylinders or things, whatever like that, surrounding the ship, or excuse me, surrounding the chair. That might be something that they, maybe that's a race that they overthrew and they're like, you know what? We hate aliens, but we love their furniture. Yeah. So they went to the Sheliak Akia, took this and right. built their own throne. I thought that was kind of neat. Whether- Sheliakia. <laughs> One point for you. <laughs> so just two more episodes to go two more episodes of transporter lock as well we'll have more content coming after that just like we did between the first half and second half of the season but i am really excited i thought this episode was one of the best of the second half season you and i were a little underwhelmed last week i feel like we they got their momentum back this week yeah 
definitely with the Klingon thing last week. It was, uh, <laughs> wasn't too exciting, but I'm glad we had this week to make up for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming next. I hope everybody else, too. Feel free to share your thoughts, theories, and hypotheses with us. Email feedback at transporterlock.com or go to our website, fill out our contact form, tweet at us at transporterlock. And just like Levi's email, we'll read yours on the air next week, and we will hypothesize alongside with you. In the meantime, I'm Ken. I'm Sabriel. Live long and prosper. Peace out. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.